tune with the Lord. Well, what do you want to see God do this year? We're two months and one week in to 2020. What do you want to see God do in your family this year? What do you want to see God do in your life this year? What do you want to see God do in your church this year? It's what we've been talking about for several months now. The kind of people that God can work mighty things through. When we think about a vision, we think about things that God wants us to do. But we're looking at it from a different perspective because I think and I believe that before we can do anything, we have to be the kind of people that God can work through. It's not what we can do for God. It's what God wants to do through us, his people. And we have to be the type of people that he can use, that he can work through. First of all, he wants a people that love him with all their heart. Secondly, he wants a people that seek him with all their heart. Thirdly, he wants a people that will serve him with all their heart. Then he wants a people who will obey him with all their heart. And he wants a people who will trust him with all their heart. You see, we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about that phrase, with all your heart. And it's connected to about seven different things. Those are the first five. Today, we're going to look at the sixth one. Jeremiah chapter 24, in verse 7, God told Israel this, or told Jeremiah this, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Why do we need to return to the Lord? What would cause us to have to return? Well, obviously, to return to something means that you created some distance from that individual, right? We went off on a trip to Thailand, and we had to return. We created about, I don't know how many thousands of miles of distance between us, you, and us. We had to return back from that trip. So what causes us to to be separated from God? What causes us to to have to return? What is it? It's sin. And God is a holy God. God cannot abide with sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He doesn't put up with sin. He doesn't excuse sin. Sin creates a distance between us and God. Sin cannot break your relationship with God. It cannot. If you've given your heart to Christ, if you've been saved and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that's a once and for all event that happened. Nothing can change that. But what happens is that when we sin after that commitment, our fellowship is damaged. It would be like in a marriage. Oh, things are going along really good. You know, for for after you say I do, and man, you're on that honeymoon, and nobody can do anything wrong. You're just living in the moment. All of a sudden, somebody does something that steps on the toes of that other spouse. And then the fireworks begin. 
and the reality sets in. And that closeness that you once had as husband and wife, now, because of that disagreement or that offense, there is a distance. Right? Now, you have to, what's the best part of breaking up? It's true with God, too. You have to return back to each other. There has to be some reconnection, a return. There has to be repentance from sin and a return to God. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. Think about your relationship with God. Is it just you got fire insurance? In other words, you you just want to go to heaven when you die, but you don't want to change your life? You don't want to change the way you live, think, do, speak? He says it's it's a change in belief without a change in behavior. It's revival without reformation, without repentance. I remember preaching a sermon at one time entitled Repentance, the First Demand of the Gospel. The reason I titled that message that way because the first public words, the first public word, word out of the mouth of Christ, the first word he ever spoke publicly as a minister. You say, when was that? Well, see, he didn't begin his ministry until after he was baptized. Then he was revealed. Okay, his first word. Do y'all know what it was? Publicly, his first sermon, first word of his first sermon. Do you know what it was? Repent. Now, now if, if people's last words are important, what was his last word? Return. I'm returning to you. I want you to return to me, but his first words were repent. It's very important. Why is it then that the people of God think, or the supposed people of God think, well, I can, I can add God to my life. No, you don't add God to your life. God gives you life. And without God, you have no life. He's got to be everything. And when he's not everything, we've got to return back to him. The Romans sometimes compelled the captive to be joined face-to-face with a dead body. They would take their captives. You know, the Romans would roam the world and conquer the world. And they would take their captives and, and, and force them to be joined, I guess, by ropes, face-to-face with a dead corpse. And they had to bear it, carry it, until the horrible uh, effluvia of that dead corpse destroyed the life of the living victim. Virgil describes this cruel punishment. The living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand. Still, till choked with stench, in loathed embraces tied, the lingering wretches pined away and died. You see, when we try to add Christ to our lives without having any repentance, it's like us, like Christ, being tied to a dead corpse. You're not really alive. You haven't really been changed. Because if repentance hasn't happened, you haven't been saved. You're lost in your sin, but thinking you're saved. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. 
for the people of God who call themselves the people of God to sit in the church pews week after week after week and still not having any change in their daily routine, but they come and act holy on Sunday, but they live their own life Monday through Saturday. You see, we're not, we're not adding Christ to our lives. If that's all you did, you're still lost in your sin. You don't add Christ to your life. Christ changes your life. He gives you a brand new life. The old life is dead and gone. And you have a new life. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have what? Passed away. All things have become new. You don't add Christ to your life. Christ changes your life. He takes it away. He kills the old self and gives you a new life. The Bible is full of people whose sin created the need for them to return to God. I'm so grateful for the Bible. I hope you're reading your Bible daily. I hope you're reading it through in the sense that you're not just picking and choosing where you read, but that you read the whole counsel of God. Because you get to see all... God doesn't hide things from us. Even in the opening chapters of the opening book of the Bible, we see where sin created the need for a return to God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at this first person. We're going to see some people throughout the, this series in returning to God. We're going to look at some of these people, and we're going to see what led to their sin, and then how God made a way for them to come back to him, and the steps they took in returning to him. So let's, let's begin reading chapter 3. Very familiar story. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the, tree, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What, Adam, what, what led to Adam and Eve's sin? What led to their need to return to God was they succumbed to temptation. Each week, we're going to look at a way that we give in to sin. This week, we're looking at how sometimes the need for us to return to God is because we gave in to a temptation. How many of you have ever given in to temptation? I should see 100% of everybody's hands up. We've all. Who's the tempter? Satan. And where does temptation come from? Not from God. James tells us that it comes from our own desires. 
In other words, the devil knows what to tempt you with. And what he may tempt you with would not work on me because I'm not, that's not part of my problem. But he knows what works on me. He knows how to tempt me. And so he draws us away, the Bible says, of our own lust and entices us and makes it seem so good, so appealing, so desirable, and so irresistible. And we feel like we can't say no. And so we succumb, we yield to that temptation, we give into it, we, we partake in that sin. And we full well know it's sin. I believe Eve full well knew it was sin. Adam full well knew. God said no. She already had this conversation with the devil. And that's what happens when we're tempted. We have this conversation in our heads. Well, I know I shouldn't. And then the devil's going, yes, but how good it would be. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's everybody's doing it. It may be okay just this once. We have this conversation. So we know when we give in to temptation, we know full well what we're doing. We're not accidentally sinning. We're on purpose sinning. We're giving in to temptation. And you know what it does? The first thing it did for Adam and Eve, it is it produced shame. Let me ask you, every time you give in to temptation, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you belong to him and you give in to temptation, that's probably the first thing you feel is shame and guilt. And you say things like this, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again. And then the next thing you do is you hide. You hide. You hide from God. You know why? Because you've lost your confidence before God. You know you've got something in your spirit, in your soul, that God cannot tolerate, that he hates. doesn't hate you but you, you feel this dirtiness, this filth, so, so you hide. You don't even feel like you can open the Bible. Oh, that's the holy book. I can't read that book after what I just did. I can't pray and, and talk to God and ask even the blessing over my food because of what I've just done. How can I go to church and, and sing those songs of worship after the life that, that I've been living? So there's this shame and there's this guilt and there's this distance that is created and we hide from God but I want you to notice what God did God will always God will always for his people he will make a way for you to return to him doesn't matter whether you succumb to temptation or you've been living at a distance from him for years, he makes a way. The song the choir just sang, heard it many times and I love it. I'm running to your arms. But there's a phrase that stuck out to me today that didn't stick out when I've heard that before. Nothing compares to your embrace. You see, every time I sin, I feel that God is, or at least I have let go of that embrace. To embrace this stupid sin. 
I think my wife gives the best hugs. Nothing on earth compares to her embrace. One of these days, I'm going to literally feel the, the arms of God wrapped around me. That's one of the things I can't wait to, to, to get to heaven is to, to feel the arms of Christ holding me and hugging me and welcoming, welcoming me home. But if that song is really true, nothing compares to his embrace. Is, am I really living like that? Or am I giving up his embrace to embrace something else? And God longs to keep us in his embrace. God, I want to show you Adam and Eve's return. God calls them for fellowship. Look at verse 8. Adam and Eve had sinned. They're hiding in the bushes. They're even using bushes to cover themselves up. They sewed fig leaves together. That's another thing we do when we sin. We try to contrive ways to cover our sin. Cover my tracks. But here's God. He heard God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that must have been their routine. Well, Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. They're hiding in the bushes. And the Lord God, what does he do? He calls them. This morning, if you've succumbed to temptation and you know you need to return to God... God's calling you. Hear what he says. Where are you? Hear him calling your name. Adam, where are you? God, you're, you're not the only one that feels the distance. God feels the distance. God knows that you've moved from him. And it's always, you've heard it's been said that if there's a distance between me and God, who moved? I did. You did. But God feels that distance. God doesn't want that distance there. And so he comes and he calls for that fellowship to be restored. One of his greatest desires, I believe, is to fellowship with his people. That's what Jeremiah 24, 7, we read it a moment ago. God says, I want to give them a new heart to know me. He said, because I want them to be my people. And I want to be their God. Hear God saying that. I want you to be my people. That's a tender, compassionate thing for a holy God to say is, I want you to be my people. He longs for that fellowship. And when that distance is created because of sin, he calls us back. Is he calling you back? We find in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's not an evangelistic verse. It's Jesus talking to his church. Church of Laodicea, that lukewarm church, that church that, that thought they could live in both worlds. I can have one foot in the church and I can have one foot in the world. And that's how the church of Jesus Christ is today. I believe we're living in the Laodicean church era. And that's when Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man what? If any man what? Hears my voice. He's calling. And he says, and opens the door. That is, you got to hear his voice. 
And you've got to open your heart and open your life and return to him. He says, I will come into him. I'll fellowship with him and he with me. You see, that's, the, that's what he wants, fellowship with you. He doesn't want that distance. But you've got to return. We have to return. See, God calls for fellowship, but also we find in verse 11 of Genesis 3 that God calls for confession. You see, when God said in verse 9, where are you? Wasn't that he didn't know where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. Adam, where are you? Well, I'm far away from you, God. And that's where it begins. You need to admit that. God, I'm not right with you. Verse 11. Well, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, well, how would you know you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Do you think God knew already? God knew all that already? Sure, he knew all that already. But he's getting Adam to confess it, to say it. He wants him to say it. Now, what did Adam do? Did Adam just come out and say, yeah, Lord, I did. What did Adam do? It's what you and I do. Well, Lord, my, my friends are doing it. And it's not illegal. And my parents don't mind. And all these excuses we give to the Lord, the blame. Well, Lord, if you had to live with this woman, you'd lose it too. <laughs> or, God, if, if you had to be married to this man, if you had these set of kids... God says, Adam, who told you you were naked? Why are you hiding? Just come out and say it. Just come out and say, God, I've sinned. Remember David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Nathan came to him and told the story about the, little, the man that stole the man's the other man's pet lamb and sacrificed it to feed the company at his house. And David got all irate and said, man, I'm, whoever did that needs to be strung up by his toes and all this stuff. And, and Nathan goes, David, you're the man. That's what you did. And see, that's what God wants to do. He's pointing the finger in your chest. You want to point the finger in Eve's chest. You want to point the finger in your spouse's chest or your kid's chest or your boss's chest. You want to point the finger somewhere else, but God's got the finger on your chest, and that's why you feel so heavy right now, because the hand of God is extremely heavy, the hand of conviction, and God will not let go until you repent and turn back to him. And he wants you to confess and admit. David said to Nathan, I have sinned. That's all God wants you to say. 1 John 1, 8, 9 says, If we say we have not sinned, we lie, and the truth is not in us. If we say, well, no, that's not a sin. That's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's not, it's not a sin. It's accepted. It's okay. It's, it's whatever it is. No, you, he said we are liars. If we know God said it's wrong, then it's wrong. He said, but if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says, I will forgive you, but you first got to confess it and admit it, that it's sin. 
So he calls for fellowship. He calls for confession. And then he makes a covering. He provides a way for that sin to be forgiven. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. They covered themselves with fig leaves. But the Bible says God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God makes a covering for sin, and he did it through the shedding of blood. Do you know up to this point in the history of the world, we don't know how long that was, but there was no death? That's why, by the way, dinosaurs could not have existed before man. Because if dinosaurs died off before man ever came on the scene, what was, what's the result of sin? Death. The wage of sin is death. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no sin, so there was no death. So dinosaurs could not have existed before man. By the way, you've got to take the Bible for what it says and not what the scientists say because they don't know the Bible. But we know the Bible. But anyway, death, the first death was right here. The first death. God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. Did they die? In a sense. But did they die physically? Did they? Simple question. I'm not trying to trick you. No, they didn't. They didn't die, did they? They still went on living, right? This animal was the substitute. God said, I'm going to kill that animal. I'm going to put his skin to cover your sin, to cover your nakedness. The first death. See, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does for us. That's, what, that's how God makes a way for not only for me to come back to him, but for that sin to be taken care of. God's not going to just say, okay, you admitted it, no big deal. He's got to deal with the sin in your life. He can't just excuse it. It's got to be paid for. And if he's going to forgive you, that means you don't have to pay for it, but somebody's going to pay. And that's what that animal was. Somebody paid. Now, yeah, they eventually died physically. Otherwise, they would not have died physically. They would have been able to live forever. That's why they were banned from the garden. For had they eaten of the tree of life in that broken, sinful state, they would have lived forever in that sinful state with that sin. And so God banned them from the garden, from that tree of life. God was merciful. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 44, in verse 22, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. No, I'm not going to kill you. I've already paid the price. I've already provided the substitute. You see, we don't want to come back to God sometimes when we sin because we think God is a harsh God. We think God's going to condemn us. We think God's going to kill us, maybe. Not accept us back. But see, God has already provided a way for you to come back to him. And he's already provided the covering 
the atonement, the, the cancellation, if you will, of your sin. The fierceness of his wrath has already been visited upon his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could, could go on living in that fellowship with him. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We see it in the garden. We see it at the cross. And it's available today. If you've succumbed to temptation, there's a way back. Return to God. Wabush is a town in the remote portion of Labrador, Canada. They were completely isolated for some time, but recently a road was cut through the wilderness to reach Wabush. But they only have one road leading in, and thus only one road leading out. So if you traveled up that unpaved road for six to eight hours to get to Wabush, Canada, there's only one way you're leaving. You know how you're getting back? You got to turn around and go back. Each of us by birth has arrived at a town called Sin. As in Wabush, there is only one way out. And it's a road that's been built and designed by God himself. But in order to take that road, you've got to turn around. You cannot keep going the direction you're going and return to God at the same time. It has to be an about face. Why don't you do what the choir encouraged us to do today? Oh, I'm running to your arms. God is standing here like this, He's waiting. Sometimes I think we see God like this when we sin. And actually, maybe he's holding a bolt of lightning. And as soon as you get close, that's not the picture in Scripture of God at all. The picture we see, we're going to see it better next week. The picture we see of God for the sinner is this. He's ready to embrace you. But he's not going to embrace you if you don't turn from your sin and return to him with all your heart. But if you do, you'll enjoy his embrace and you will experience the power of his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together.